guys, what's up? This is Natalie here, and on this week's episode, we have Active Life RX. So we have Dr. Sean, he's a chiropractor and one of the uh, founders of Active Life RX. Himself and his partner Jeremy run it now. They have a gym um, in New York and they have a, a chiropractic clinic, so you can go and get one-on-one. And then they work with several CrossFit Games athletes, I believe 25 athletes who are at the Games this year, on fixing strength and balances to improve their athletic performances. So online, they have a lot of bulletproof programs, one-on-one coaching, all stuff like that. So without further ado, let's go all in. All right, Dr. Sean, I'm super stoked to have you on. I've been following Active Life uh, and Performance Care on Instagram for a while, and I actually did a performance care segment the other day. It was the Turkish sit-ups and get-ups, and uh, it helped my shoulders feel really fresh going into uh, a workout with some shoulder-heavy movements. So I'd like to talk about you to start and how you got started with Active Life and Performance Care RX. So I'll give you the... uh the truncated version, because I don't think anybody wants to hear me talk about uh, how I got where I am right now so much. It's, it's uh, yeah. So long story short, um, I was treating patients in my father's office. He's a chiropractor. He's been in practice for 30 years. He's retired now. Uh, and I'm a licensed chiropractor. So first I was a personal trainer. I worked at like the worst gym I could find on purpose to learn everything that they did wrong, because my mindset was I'm going to open my own gym one day. And I need to know how not to do things. So I literally looked for the worst gym I could find, drove 45 minutes a day to get there just to learn how to do everything because I knew I could make mistakes in someone else's gym if they weren't really taking care of it, right? If I made it better at all, then I was doing a good job. And if I made mistakes, everyone expected that, very low pressure. And then I got a job at a better gym and I was like, oh, I need to open a high-end gym. Fast forward, um... I ended up deciding to go to chiropractic school because I was frustrated with my scope as a personal trainer. And then I ended up leaving my father's office and opening my own office with a CrossFit gym because I was frustrated by the style of treatment that we were giving in my father's office, which was stim, ice, heat, adjust, ultrasound, you know, whatever, send them out, uh, tell them to stop doing what they were doing for four to six weeks and everything will be okay. That frustrated me, and I was doing CrossFit at CrossFit Garden City, which is a local gym around here that that has done really well for themselves, and I was inspired by the type of population who was in there. Um, I started treating them, and I was enjoying it very much. You know, they they were happy to pay cash. They were happy to do what I asked them to do after their workouts and between their workouts, and I was getting better results with them faster, and they weren't having to stop doing what they were doing, which was really cool. So I opened my own clinic, my own gym with a partner. Uh, I've since split with that partner, brought on a new partner. And once my new partner, Dr. Jeremy, came on board, we realized quickly that what we were doing was only being done in person because we hadn't figured out how to do it online, but that the methodology could absolutely be delivered digitally. So we spent about a year developing okay, how, you know, we know this works. We've been doing it now for a year. Let's now figure out how to do it effectively online for people where they're getting the same experience as if they were here and nobody feels like they're missing anything. And let's deliver to them online. So now we're here. <laughs> talking That's awesome. to you. So that, that was, believe it or not, that was the short version. That's about as short as I can make it. No, that's perfect. 
So yeah, you guys are putting out a lot of content now and I've seen it kind of gradually been increasing. What do you think the best response or kind of the overall improvement you've seen to your business been since you started kind of pumping out all that content online? Um, well, we, we kind of, we looked at what CrossFit's doing because CrossFit is the market that we spend most of our time in. And we recognize that they consider themselves a marketing company first. I mean, not a marketing, a, uh, a media company first. They call themselves a media company. And we have a coach on our staff in our gym who is also a good personal friend of mine. I was at his wedding. Um, and he's our full-time media staff, and he does media for CrossFit HQ as well, at the games, at regionals. Uh, so that's Sean's super cleary photo, Cleary. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, and basically, we were like, listen, we need to put out enough content that we can stay relevant on a regular basis so we can keep on educating people. And the more exposure that we get, the better our content quality needs to be, right? Nobody wants to buy a $200 a month service from somebody who is doing all of their recordings on an iPhone with bad sound. So... In the beginning, that was okay, but as we started to get better and better and better and more and more and more exposure, we're like, we need to look more professional than we even are if people are going to think that we're as professional as we need to be. So Sean films with us every Tuesday for anywhere from two to four hours, and then sometimes on Thursdays when we don't get stuff done and we're pumping out content on a regular, regular basis. Awesome. Did that answer your question? Yeah, definitely. Okay. I think maybe let's dive in for people who haven't yet uh, had a chance to check out Active Life RX and Performance Care. What exactly you're doing with them and what your goals are and kind of what your programs are that you're offering for athletes. Sure. So first of all, I want to try to clear something up that I made a mess of early on. And that is that everything that we do is Active Life. Active Life RX is our Instagram account because Active Life was taken by some guy in Norway who never answers messages, right? <laughs> um, and Performance Care RX became the URL because we bought that when the Instagram account was still Dr. Sean RX. Okay. So now it's like, okay, well, now we have Performance Care RX, the website, Active Life RX, the medium, I mean, the, the, the Instagram channel, and Active Life, the company. So everyone gets very confused by all of that. Yeah. Um, the reason we came up with the term Performance Care is because we didn't want, we were very cognizant of not using the term mobility because in CrossFit, it was like, oh, this hurts. I just need to work on my mobility, right? And that became like the, you couldn't put it in a pill. So you just put it in a term and everyone was like, oh, you just need to do some mobility drills. And we were like, that, that, that's, that's asinine. That makes no sense. So we started calling it performance care because there wasn't really a term out there for the blend of you need to move better, you need to move more deliberately, and you need to move stronger and specifically. So we said, well, what can we call that? Well, it's performance and it's kind of like, you know, healthcare. So let's call it performance care. So that's how we got to that name. Um, but yeah, so I'm not really sure I answered your question at all. And I actually kind of forgot your question because I wanted to clear that up for people. No worries. So it's kind of like... Um... Well, I almost forgot the question too there. <laughs> um, about more of like what, what you're pumping out. So for the yeah. programming, is it, uh, yeah, like one-on-one -on -one training or is it videos people can follow? Got that it. Kind of thing. So, so, so to put things simply, we feel like there's a massive void, right, okay. between, between physical therapy and coaching. 
And we also think that there's a massive void between inspiring healthcare and healthcare. In that yeah. there's none. Like you go, I just don't think people are excited about getting in their car and driving 20 minutes to their therapist's office, waiting 20 minutes to be seen, then finally getting their appointment, being laid on a table so that some PT assistant can. And there's nothing against PT assistants, right? They're, they're good people. They work hard, but so some PT assistant can supervise you with three other people at the same time while you do exercises that are not valuable to what you're going to do in the real world. And then you pay 40 bucks on the way out. And they're like, by the way, you got to come in two more times this week and for the next five weeks. I don't think anybody's like, oh, I can't wait to do that. That's exciting. No. So, so we were like, how can we replace that? How can we replace that for active populations? And what we looked at was we were essentially looking at the programming that regular athletes, elite athletes, we're doing on a regular basis and saying, what's missing? What is their programming doing to them that's maybe making them really good at their sport, but missing in terms of their everyday life, right? I mean, you were a snowboarder, right? Yeah. So there are, there are movement patterns that you're going to become really good at in order to be a good snowboarder that probably aren't good for you when you're going to the supermarket. No, <laughs> definitely right? not. Yeah. Right? Like, um, I, I don't, I don't, I snowboarded once in my backyard uh, when I had a big backyard at chiropractic school and I was wearing Timberlands and it just didn't go well. Um, but I would imagine that there's probably some issues with ankles amongst snowboarders because they're so locked in place, right? Yeah. That you're going to become a good snowboarder regardless of that if you practice appropriately. But now when you go in the gym and you try to squat, your ankles are going to be like, hey, hey. Remember us? We're not moving very well. Yeah. So what we found was that if, if, if a joint can be healthy, a joint will perform better, regardless of if that joint is used specifically for your sport. Having reserve opportunity is, is better. So we started looking at CrossFitters because the two we were dealing with, and we said, what are they really good at measurably? And what are they really bad at measurably? And is that important? And we found a bunch of stuff that wasn't important, and we found stuff that was. And we said, okay, let's start working on this and see if pain goes away for people and see if performance goes up. And it's like, it's so stupid simple and it works 90% of the time. That's awesome. So would you, would you be able to pick out like one main deficiency that you see in CrossFit athletes? That, yeah. Okay. What would yeah. it be? Um, well, Start like not the answer you're looking for, but self-awareness, right? So, so when I say that, I mean, we work with everything from athletes who've won the CrossFit Games to athletes who haven't won an open workout at their gym, right? right. Um, and we love working with both populations just the same. But when the elite athlete thinks they need to do more just because their colleagues are, that's symptomatic. That's a problem. And when, you know, novice athletes think that they need to learn how to do something and just grind out a single movement like a pull-up or muscle, I want to get my first muscle up. Okay. Their coach tells them, you just need to keep doing pull-ups and work on these transitions and work on getting a strict pull and do this and do this and do this. And then they end up having shoulder pain before they ever get there. Right. Right. Um, the problem is that they're, they're, they're lacking the self-awareness that is what they're doing to their body. 
And so to answer your question specifically the way you want it answered, the number one thing that we see in CrossFitters is that they're really good at downwardly rotating their shoulder blade and really bad at upwardly rotating their shoulder blade. So what I mean by that is they can do pull-ups for days. And yeah. even, even the person listening right now who's like, no, you don't know what you're talking about. I can only do three. That's fine. In the environment that you're living in, you're not good at pull-ups. But when you leave that environment, when you leave that bubble, and you look at all of your friends and your sisters and your brothers and your cousins, they're like, you're insane. How can you pull yourself up on that bar three times? So what we look at is, well, what three pull-ups or 20 pull-ups? I don't care. How much weight do you need to be able to move in the opposite direction for there to be a balance of force across your shoulder that will drive you not to have symptoms, which will allow you to exploit your maximum performance variables? Right. And people suck at that. Oh, yeah. I suck at that. I have tons of shoulder issues, and they stem from snowboarding mainly. But, um, yeah, then getting into CrossFit, I have the exact same problem. Like, my upper body pull matched to, say, upper body push is just a joke. <laughs> well, so, so to give people some constructs so they know what we're talking about, we, we like to tell people that if you weigh 100 pounds, and, and most people are like, I don't know, what is he talking Just take the math and, and do the math yourself. If you can do five pull-ups at 100 pounds, you should be able to take a 33-pound weight in a single arm and high pull it the same number of times that you can do a pull-up. Right. So five pull-ups at 100-pound body weight means five high pulls at 33 pounds on each right. arm. Most people yeah. in CrossFit can't do that. But when construction workers come into our office, they have no problem with that. Right. The ratio is there. Yeah, but they, but they, but they have other issues, right? They can hinge all day, but they can't squat for shit. Right. Because they're bending down, picking stuff up, but they're not squatting on their job. Yeah. That's very interesting. Yeah, I never really thought about that, about, yeah, the high pull to to pull up comparison. And then, I mean, even giving that number that's based off, you know, someone who weighs 100 pounds. uh, If you got someone who weighs 150, 200 pounds, I think they would still struggle with that. Most people the, the, the 150 just means, okay, you need to be pulling 50 pounds. Right. Yeah, but I think that, you know, say 30, 33 pounds is still a struggle for someone who might weigh 200 pounds. I can tell you we worked with a... A person who is, I won't name them because I just, I don't think that that's appropriate for me to do, but someone who's won the CrossFit Games. And she had shoulder pain that ran all the way down to her elbow and up into her neck. And this is weeks before the Open. She couldn't, she couldn't lunge. This is the Open last year. She couldn't lunge at all. Too much knee pain. And we're like, oh, well, no big deal. Lisa's never been lunging in the Open, right? (laughs) Um, That didn't, right? But so we started working with her about two months before the Open. And she had 26 pull-ups, strict. 26 wow. strict pull-ups at about 135 pounds of body weight. Yep. We asked her to do high pulls at 45 pounds. She got zero. We asked her to do it at 35. She got zero. We asked her to do it at 25. She got 10. Wow. And, and less, by the way, than 10. I don't remember how many it was, but less than 10 on the symptomatic side. And we were like, wow. yeah, that's a, that's a problem. Yeah. So she's like, well, what do I do? And we said, you're going to deload pull-ups for the next two months because you're going to be fine in the open, right? right. You're going to deload pull-ups and you're going to start working in high pulls. And when we started to get that ratio closer to where it needed to be, 
her pain went away. Wow. And we started doing things with her like low box step-ups. And ultimately, we were able to get her lunging again. Right? Yeah. And then she competed at the games and placed very well last year. Wow. Okay, so that actually kind of leads to a question I did want to ask, which was what's kind of been the biggest improvement you've seen with a games-level athlete just from implementing this kind of stuff? And that kind of, you know, just went exactly over it. Well, um, so yes and no. I mean, I, I want to make sure that I make it clear that we don't make the athlete. Right. right? Like, I, th- I think that there's a lot of – there's too much out there where coaches are like, this person came to me with, with this ability. I did this, and look at them now. And, and that's, that's bullshit. They were you know, already like on that trajectory. They were either on that trajectory or they weren't. But no matter what you advise them, they still have to do it. And, 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 and it's possible that somebody else just wasn't getting through to them. And yeah, that makes you like, yeah, there's good coaches who are helping athletes get from not so great to great. But at the end of the day, I think the credit belongs with the athlete, not with the coach. Right. That makes sense. Or, or it's, I'm okay with coaches saying that, but then come out and be just as critical of yourself when someone you're working with goes from 5th to 17th the next year. Right. Make sure you publicize that. <laughs> yeah, not many would. No. No. Um, so I'm curious about incorporating those high pulls into her work. Did it affect her pull-ups at all? Did it like strengthen um, a different movement, like her push or something like that? Like, what were the kind of the direct correlations other than pain management that it had to her to her crossfitting? Um, no, it didn't improve her pull-ups. In her case, her pull-ups were already really good, right? And we didn't want to improve her pull-ups. But what it allowed her to do is work out with confidence, right? Uh, which 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 is totally in in irreplaceable. You know, you can't put a price on that. She, she was literally grabbing her arm and throwing it up to the bar. And once it was there, she was like, okay, I can do whatever I want to now. Oh, and no. we were like, that is not healthy. That is, that is unhealthy. Um, and then it was, okay, now I can, you know, when she got to the open, it was, okay, I can do this. And then when we got to regionals, it was, okay, I can win this. She didn't. Right. Um, but then it was, okay, now when you get to the games, it was, okay, nothing to think about. Just, just go. Right. And we were still managing pain for her in between events because the the games are just basically the Hunger Games. Yeah. But um, but she was able to compete, perform well, and do it with less pain than she anticipated. That's awesome. That's great. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I just had a question that kind of came up with that, and I'm just trying to uh, to remember it. Sometimes I get super focused into uh, into the answers. I'm learning so much even stuff that I can implement into my own training from this already. Um, so that's, that's great. Um, I totally hit a blank there. Well, I can tell you that the question that you asked that kind of led you down this path, maybe this will bring back what you wanted, was what was the best improvement that we had seen in an athlete that we were working with? Right. Um, and so one of the things that we've seen with athletes who we have worked with, um, there isn't one person who stands out besides the one I just gave you as going from like, not going to be able to compete at all to placing at the CrossFit Games. Um, the, the, the best thing I can tell you is that we have athletes who come to us and when we make a change to their program, that's drastic, right? Like I'll say, to, I, I recently said to an athlete we're working with who I think has a legitimate chance to win this year. And I told her, I don't want you to squat heavy anymore. This was about 
it was like the day after regionals we started. Okay. And she's like, I, I want to do better at the games. How do I do it? And I said, I want you to stop squatting heavier. I said, basically, I looked at what you're doing. I'm looking at your at your return on the data that you gave me. And um, I'm looking at your face as we FaceTime right now. And you are overtraining. Hmm. And you need to do exponentially less. So you're not going to squat heavy anymore. You're not going to deadlift heavy anymore. You can clean and snatch and do complexes and all that stuff. But there's no more you know, seven by five sets of back squats. That stuff is gone between now and the games. And I gave her things like work up to 80 reps at 30% of your one rep max. Do not work to fatigue. Interesting. With with a slow down, fast up tempo, just so that she could continue to add volume without stressing and intensity. So her nervous system could have an opportunity to recover um, her hormones could recover better and she would still be grooving the movement patterns that she's already so good at. And she's been PRing her Olympic lifts now and she feels fresh and she's, she's going to be dangerous. Right. Her CNS is less fatigued and she's yeah, able I mean, to train more efficient. That's the idea. I think you should live that way. People right. bury themselves. Yeah. Oh yeah. They think if it hurts, it's, it's beneficial and you know, why are you squatting heavy when maybe you need to keep that kind of nervous system energy for something that's more of a weakness that you should be working on? Yeah, well, the, the thing in CrossFit is people are like, you know what? I want to work harder than the next person. I'm going to outwork you. So, okay, I'm totally with that. I don't think there's anybody in our space outworking us right now. But so the question becomes, what does hard work really look like? Because to somebody who's top 100 in the world at CrossFit, the fitness difference is razor thin and working out hard is actually not hard work that's like their their auto drive place you know that's cruise control going into the gym and suffering for them is easy physically demanding mentally easy so it's hey have you taken yourself mentally to the place that what would happen if everything on the floor went wrong what would you do how would you respond no, maybe you should do that. You know, have you have you spent an hour working on finding positions that are problematic for you and working on them instead of laying on your back panting? No, maybe that's what you should be doing. So it's it's just shifting the macro as to what's important, and what's hard. Right. Awesome. No, I love it. So shifting back to um, what you were saying about the the one athlete and about how it's so important to be a confident athlete and how it improved her confidence by kind of managing that pain. And is it, I believe it's, it's in your Instagram bio that a confident athlete is a A dangerous dangerous athlete, athlete. right? Mm -hmm. Okay. So I kind of wanted to tie that in with, I know in snowboarding, um, it was very hard for me to kind of, I would see other athletes and they'd be tearing their ACLs like every season, breaking their collarbones over and over different injuries that were just so common with, you know, action sports. And they would be wondering why right after the competition, I'm heading back into the gym and trying to recover and trying to gain strength. And they're like, why, why are you, do you need to gain this muscle? Why are you working out your upper body? We don't need it. Why are you doing this? And I'm saying the biggest thing that I saw was my increase in confidence. So I knew that it's such a dangerous sport. And if we get injured, you're out for the season. Um, you know, that's kind of like the best case scenario. There's a lot of, you know, kind of dangerous and, and bad things that can happen that are even more serious than that kind of 
and longevity of your life. And I was saying, I feel more confident. I'm going to go try this trick today because I know if I fall, I have some muscle there to protect me. Or if I land wrong or I land like really flat off this jump or really far, that my legs can handle it. So I guess is getting back to more of a question, is that what you think the main, the main um, kind of benefit that all athletes of all sports would get from doing this kind of work? In part, I think it's, I think it's, and I think you were describing this, so I'm just going to kind of shrink it down. Yeah. It's, it's, it's the lack of need for cognitive energy to be spent when you're exercising, when, when, you, when, you're, when you're performing. And what I mean by that is if you have a little bit of an ache in your knee, there's going to be that microsecond of thought when you're out there performing. Right. Um, and that microsecond of thought can cost you everything. Right. So not like the reason why you practiced tricks when you were a snowboarder, and I'm not suggesting you're not anymore, right? But when you were competing as a snowboarder, when you were all in snowboarding, right. the reason why you practiced those tricks over and over and over and over again is so that when you were in them, you could just do them. You yeah. wouldn't have to think about them because you land at the precise moment, at the precise angle with the precise loads on both feet. If you were off by the smallest bit, you're toast. Yeah. So not having to think takes all of that out of it. Right. Right. So if you're out there without pain, all you have to do is focus on your performance. If you have pain, if you have dysfunction, if you have a history of injury and you don't know what it really means, you know, for your future, if you're worried about the injury, then it's like, oh, should I do this? And then you're slower and slower is weaker and weaker is hurt. Right. So yeah, I think any athlete who's listening to this podcast um, right now, they should think about that as a way to um, kind of motivate themselves to do this kind of work. So because um, that, that kind of described it tied into kind of creating buy in with athletes where athletes were like, Oh, why do I need to train? Why do I need to do this? That's a direct um, kind of relation to why we work on our tricks and why we do this kind of thing is why we would work on um, performance care and well, things like that. I'll, I'll tell you what I tell coaches when they ask me why they should do this, <clears throat> right? Because coaches often are like, "Oh, well, what's you know, what's the value?" I don't, I'm, I'm trying to understand the value. Like, we're already doing strength training. Like, we're already doing mobility work. Where does your stuff come in? And the answer to that is, if you're a coach and there's an athlete in your gym, whether it's and or if you're an athlete, right? If you are this athlete, but take it from either perspective, and somebody's squatting. And you say to them, hey, I need you to get a little bit lower on that. And you don't know exactly why they didn't get lower. You are fucked. And you're dangerous to the athlete. Because the reason that they're not getting lower could be that they don't know how to get lower, that, they, that they've never been told to, which is what you're hoping for. Or, it, or that they don't know that they're not, which is what you're hoping for. Or it could be that they have a small labrum tear in their head, and if they go lower, they're going to hurt themselves. They have a disc injury in their back, and their body's pre preserving their range of motion. They have arthritic knees that haven't been taken care of, and their body is stopping them before they go. They have immobile ankles, so their, their torso position doesn't allow them to go lower. If you don't know exactly why that person's not getting lower, then you risk fucking them up in a big way just telling them to get lower. Right. So if you aren't somebody who's looking to figure out 
exactly why you can't do a certain movement the way that you're trying to do it, then quite frankly, you shouldn't go all in with us because we're not going to be able to help you. Right. But you should want to know. Yeah. So do you have advice for athletes who are trying to incorporate this work into their other programming? So if they're already doing, you know, um, whether it be their class wads, whether they have a coach they're working with, they have competitive aspirations, whether they're just someone that comes in on a daily basis, when should they be doing this kind of work? How can they get started? So the difference, the answer to that question is going to be different from the person who's in a class versus the person who's trying to qualify as a team athlete or individual athlete for the games, regionals, whatever have you. Because um, the class athlete, the, the onus is really going to be on their coach. Right? Their coach needs to recognize how they need to modify. And an example of that is what we do in our gym. When we're, when we're doing strength work, if we're having people squat, we will test and everybody tests and let's just say we're saying find a heavy 10 or find a 10 rep max. What we'll then do on that same day is strip that weight down to half and see how many step ups you can do on the left and see how many step ups you can do on the right. And what we're looking for is, is the athlete in the gym doing most of the work on a single side? Because if they are, then we're going to shift their strength macro to single leg work. So when everybody, when, when we program squatting for the gym, instead of them squatting, they're going to do single leg work at 50% of the recommended load at the same rep range so that they can build up their single leg strength and start to match side to side. Um, that, that becomes something valuable that a coach can do in their gym very, very easily. Um, when it comes to an athlete, if you're in the gym and let's say, for example, you have shoulder pain and it's because you're too good at pull-ups and not good enough at high pulling or carrying and your gym is programming friend that day, the advice for you is lead with rational thought as opposed to ego and emotion and replace the pull-ups with something more valuable for you, like high pulling, like, you know, strict, well, you just did thrusters, so you don't want to be doing strict pressing, but high pulling, um, even a sumo deadlift high pull, it's not my favorite movement, but it, it serves the purpose in this case as long as you're not jamming your shoulder at the end, um, farmer's carries, whatever it might be. The goal of the workout is a given stimulus. It's not to be better at friends. Right, exactly. Yeah, and that, that kind of leads me into, um, I was listening to uh, another podcast of a popular coach and he was saying the same thing that, you know, he has his athletes, even games level athletes come in and say he gives them Amanda. And he's like, they have something very specific they need to work on their muscle ups. And they could do the muscle ups in Amanda unbroken on a typical day and get a certain time. But if there's a specific stimulus they need, they need to work on this specific swing on their muscle up and they can only link one he's going to tell them do that put your ego to out the door and it's okay if it takes you double the amount of time to finish that workout right if you need to get better at linking muscle ups together stop gaming the workout so that your work so your muscle ups don't improve right it's a training day not a competing day exactly yeah yeah so and if you're working on linking them you don't need to be let's do singles as fast as possible mm -hmm. work on linking them take the time to rest jump back up Right. And the other thing, too, that you asked and I didn't really answer is when do people incorporate this stuff? And what we tell people is there's a scale of good, better, and best, right? So right. good is that you're doing it at all. Thank you. Welcome to the party, right? Whenever you want. Better is that you're doing it consistently. Right. Best is that you're doing it consistently before anything else. Okay. Because what we're doing for people is we're not making you great athletes. Nobody. But what we're doing is we're setting you up to 
become a great athlete with the guidance of somebody else. Right. Right. So if you can't squat to depth, it doesn't matter how fast you do a workout without squatting to depth. Right. The most important thing is that you move well, move well first, move well, move fast second. Right. So what we say is if you're not moving well, if your strength is out of whack, we need that to be the first thing that you're focusing on. When we work with games athletes who have a real season, right? Um, right now, we're not doing very much. Okay. Right? The, the, the haze in the barn, as the expression goes. You know, right now is recovery work and whatever your coach tells you. But October 20th, we're the macro. Right. Excuse me, August 20th. You know, two weeks after the games are over. We are programming up to an hour for these people. Right. And they're doing it first. Before anything else, before they touch a barbell, before they... Before they do whatever their coach tells them to do. And their coach knows. We've talked to their coach. Okay. That's good. Okay, so beforehand. So I know you guys also work with Brute. Is this what you program too? Is it usually stuff that incorporates around their programming to do before those workouts? Or... So our, our role with Brute is more as consultant. So okay. what that means is anybody who's on Brute, and for those people who don't know, Brute Strength is a programming group. Right? I mean, they, they write CrossFit and, and bodybuilding programming. And what we do is we basically, um, for a while we were auditing everything to make sure that their reps were in line. And then once we felt like they were competent, and they were never not competent, but once we felt like they were competent on our systems and our metrics, right. we said, okay, you guys go ahead and do it. Um, and now what we do is we provide them with recovery pieces that are categorized so that they can place them where appropriate in their programming for their athletes. And we answer questions for anybody in their Facebook group who has questions about, oh, my shoulder hurts, my knee hurts, what's this? We get in there and we answer it for them. So it's an additional service that a brood athlete gets that other programs maybe don't. Okay. Very cool. Okay. So anyone listening to this, if you're a regular box goer or so be it the best way to implement this program would be to do it before and to do it consistently and to do it at all. Mm -hmm. So it's to do it consistently before anything else, because if you're going to spend energy, you should spend energy on the bucket that is the least full. Right. And that's what we're working on with you. We're, we're, we are measuring to the percentile your deficiencies and we're picking what you're most deficient in and pounding it on you. Right. So you need to do that first or you're not going to be able to do it well. Right. And under fatigue, you're not going to be able to do it well. No. Yeah. All right. Makes sense. So kind of moving on from, from that kind of information, I think anyone listening is going to get tons of value from what you just provided there. I'd like to know a little bit more about kind of you and how you manage your, your business training, putting out all this content, managing the gym, coaching. How does you know, maybe a day look like for you of managing all this and making other people better while working on yourself? Uh, the biggest thing for me is self-awareness. I'm not good at all those things you just mentioned. So okay. I don't do them. Right, like I'm, I'm a big believer that you should know your weaknesses and work on your strengths. Right. So I, I, don't, I don't not work on my weaknesses. I do. But I don't spend anywhere near as much time working on my weaknesses as I do working on my strengths. Right. And, and examples of that are I'm not a good manager. I'm just not, I'm not, my follow through is bad. No matter how good I work on it, no matter how often I work on it, my ability to follow through on something will never be as good as take Jeremy's, for example, my partner, 
Right. When, when, he, when he's coasting, right? Right. So if we have a task that's high maintenance, a lot of problem solving, needs a lot of attention on a regular basis, he's doing it. Okay. Because it's better that he does that. So he manages the gym, right? Like he calls for staff meetings that we have every Wednesday for like an hour and a half. He, he manages, runs, prepares for, and executes those staff meetings. Um, he works with our one-on-one staff, our one-on-one programming staff, on how they can help their clients. He writes most of the Bulletproof programming mm-hmm. because it's meticulous work. You know, you gotta, right. you gotta be in it at all times. And I'm just not a meticulous person. I'm, I'm more about the macro, like, okay, well, how are we going to get thousands and millions of eyeballs on this? Because right. it's so valuable. And if you're spending all of your time making the programs great, you don't have time to go make sure anyone's found them. Right. So we, we split our roles very, very, very much along the lines of who's good at what. Right. And it must be very I, beneficial to have a partner like that. It is. I mean, we, we hired a coach to help us because it's kind of like therapy, the coach coming in, right? Because they're, it's very difficult when you have one person like me and one person like Jeremy who are so different. You know, like, I'm go, 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 go. What's the next home run that we're going to swing for? And he's like, why don't we make sure there's somebody on base first? Let's hit a few singles. So, um, and he's not wrong, you know, so it's, it's good to have him to, to slow me down a little bit. But, um, and I don't mean slow, slow me down in a bad way. I mean slow me down and, and make me more diligent in a good right. way. Um, but, you know, it, it, when you say to your partner, hey, I know you're treating patients Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Saturday from 9 a.m. to 7 p.m., except Saturday mornings is not the whole day. Um, And I am too. But I would like to continue getting paid the same thing and only see patients from 9 to 1230. Mm -hmm. You better have a good reason for it. Right. And that's that's what we did. I was like, listen, I love treating patients, but I feel like I'm kind of suffocated when I'm here all day treating patients because we're not growing our reach right. and I need the afternoon to do that. Makes sense. And he was yeah. good with it, but you That's need, awesome. you know, you need to be aware of what you're good at to do that. Right. And it's interesting because, um, how you said you're going harder on your strengths, you're focusing on those and you're kind of delegating your weaknesses or recognizing them at least, um, in a business sense, but from a you know, like a, a CrossFit athlete or that kind of standpoint as any athlete, it's almost the opposite where you're going hard on your strengths and then you're maintaining your, or I mean, sorry, going hard on your weaknesses and maintaining your strengths. Well, not necessarily, right? So I, th- I think that depends on where you're at in your career. You know, like if, if we look at somebody like, you know, I know that in your gym, you have Paul Tremblay, Lucas Parker, and Patrick Vellner has been there, right? Right. If I was going to talk to Patrick Vellner right now, who took, what, third at the games last year? Yeah. If he was like, hey, what would you recommend that I do? I would recommend that the month before the games, he be pounding his strengths. Right. Yeah. Go go win an event. Mm-hmm. You know, go take top two in, in a bunch of events, top three. The stuff that you need to do well on, you need to do extremely well on. Right. And, and the stuff that you're not that good at, you need to kind of mitigate damage. Right. But the person who is not making it to regionals because they're just missing because they're not strong enough, shut down the Metcons. Right. Work on your strength. So, I mean, work on you know, building your strength, which is your weakness. Right. Um, 
So I think it really depends on who you are, where you're at, and what your goals are. Right. Yeah, because the Open is kind of a test of everything. While the games, there's it's kind of the point reward system. It pays off to really win an event. So if you can and, mitigate your damages and... Yeah, yeah. And, it, and it doesn't crush you if you get crushed in an event. Right, exactly. Versus in the Open, if you have one place outside of, you know, maybe the top 50 even, you're, it's, you're gone. <laughs> right, but when, when we work with uh, games-level athletes, we almost have to take the Open for granted. You, know, you, right. you, can't, you can't. You have to be ready for it. But um, the assumption has to be that we're really looking at regionals. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, so the last question I kind of like to ask people is the top three things that you think everyone should do and can easily do to make their day, um, their lives better. So other than, of course, going to your website, signing up, doing that yeah, kind I'm of work, <laughs> I want to know what things that you think everyone should and can easily do, and it could be stuff that you've been doing on a daily basis. So top three. I haven't really collated a top three, but I would say one thing for sure is actively focus on becoming more self-aware. And, and what I mean by that is um, be honest with yourself about what you're good at, what you're bad at, and why. And, and figure out how to maximize the time that you're spending doing the things that you enjoy and they're probably the things that you're good at. Because I think that will remove a lot of stress for people. Because if, like I was talking to someone earlier today and they were asking me, you know, what supplements would you recommend people take? I said, I don't know. I'm not a supplement guy. But he's like, well, what do you take? And I said, well, I take protein, I take fish oil, and I take creatine. He's like, oh, interesting. You know, why, why the creatine? And I was like, for my ego. I want to look good naked, and I want to, I want to move a little bit more weight. Right. But if I, if I came with like, a, oh, well, because, um, you know, some scientific reason why it was valuable for me, maybe that's real, but probably that's bullshit. Right. And for me to be able to say to somebody, I take it because I want to look good naked. It's a, it's a weight off my back that I'm kind of hiding something, which means that there's no stress for me to say it. Right. You know, to say that I don't have good follow through and to know it means that I can improve it and that when I don't follow through on something well, I know that that's my weakness flaring up again. So instead of beating myself up about it, coming up with systems to improve on. Right. And in the meantime, delegating what needs to be delegated because I'm not going to do it well. Yeah. So I think self-awareness is a big thing. Um, a second thing that I would suggest is actively seeking help with your communication. You know, I was a self-inflicted poor communicator, even though I thought I was great, for the first 32 and a half years of my life, I would say. I'm 33 now. Yeah. <laughs> so knowing that you shouldn't treat people the way that you want to be treated because they don't want to be treated that way, I think is, is an extremely, probably the most important lesson that I've learned ever. Okay. Um, so knowing how you want to be treated and recognizing how maybe that's not how somebody else wants to be treated um, and learning how to do that better okay. is valuable. A good resource for people to do that is the Deloitte 20 questions test. They okay. can look that up. Um, or by taking uh, going to 16personalities.com. Oh, I love that, yeah. Take their test. And, and the thing is, people take it, and oftentimes they're like, oh, yeah, that's me, and they share it on Facebook, and then it's over. Yeah. But take a test like that and look at it and be like, wow, this is me. Yeah. 
Why? Why do I need to be noticed? Why would I prefer to be noticed than to win? Why would I prefer to win than to be noticed? Why do I want someone to tell me what to do instead of asking me if it's okay if I do that? Why do I care if somebody tells me they're proud of me? Why don't I care if somebody thinks you know, that they're proud of me? Right. Know these things about yourself and then communicate them to other people when they need it. And you'll get much more out of it. Um, so I think that's number two. Um, and number three would be make sure to schedule yourself. You know, it's easy to work hard to bury yourself in a hole and then to, but then you look up and it's like, shit, where did the daylight go? Right. You know, you need to, if exercise is important to you, look at your week and schedule when you're going to do it, like the most important appointment of your week. Yeah. And nothing else can happen during that time. Now be reasonable. If you, if you're trying to start a business and you're trying to schedule two hours of workout time per day, you know, what does that really mean? What's your drive time? What's your warm up? You know, what's the real time cost? Do you have it? Right. Probably not. So, you know, be honest with yourself, but schedule yourself first. And then what you'll find is that what you're scheduling will often reflect your priorities. And if you think that you really want to start a business and you really want to be successful and you're programming, you know, you're scheduling two hours of exercise per day for yourself, five days a week, you want to go to the games, you want to go to regionals, you want to do better in the open, that stuff's all good, but your focus is not where it needs to be if you want to be successful. Right. I love those answers. Those are awesome. So where can people find you? Social media handles, website, where can people go? Oh, we're done already? I was enjoying this. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, social media is Active Life Rx. So that is the Instagram account that we run. It's also the Facebook account that we run. Um, they can find us there. All of our services are at performancecarerx.com. But those are usually going to be um, in, our instant, in our Instagram bio. So okay. you can usually just click the link in bio. And people should know also because I often get messages and people are like, hey, I don't know if you'll get a chance to read this or I know you're really busy. You probably can't respond. I wouldn't have a, count. I wouldn't have a way for somebody to reach out to me if I wasn't planning to respond. And I don't sell to everybody who sends me a message. You know, like, yeah, there are people who I tried to sell a program to, but the reason why I do that is because I view it more as servicing them with a program than selling them a program. Right. Because they're not going to get what they need elsewhere. I'm going to tell them what to do. They're going to be frustrated by not executing appropriately. And then everyone loses. So to me, it's, you're just better off being on one of our programs. But a lot of people come in and it's, hey, try this. See how that goes for you. Oh, thanks. You're welcome. And that's it. There's nothing else to it. So reach out. I love that. Yeah, and I see in your in your Instagram stories, you guys really do respond to people and you give real answers and real help that they've clearly used and, and gotten better from. For sure. And we've had people who send us messages who end up flying in for appointments. And for me, there's that's nothing amazing. cooler than that. Like someone that's just sends a a random Instagram message ends up flying across the country to get evaluated and treated. That's, that's cool. That's very cool. Yeah. You know, you're doing something right when that happens. Sometimes I think I'm doing something right. Yeah. Every once in a while. <laughs> that's great. All right, Dr. Sean, thank you so much for coming on. Um, I hope people have learned some great stuff from, from listening to this and uh, we'll check you guys out and the work you guys do. My pleasure. It was fun.
In is brought to you by 93 Agency. 93 Agency helps your business grow. 93 Agency's mission is to help businesses realize their full potential through providing services that enable them to reach audiences in creative and valuable ways. 93 Agency specializes in digital marketing and social media management. 93 Agency generates leads, improves credibility, and increases customer loyalty, all while saving your business valuable time and costs. Check 93 Agency out at 93agency.com or follow on social media at 93agency. Hey guys, just a reminder that if you enjoy any of the episodes, I encourage you to leave a review and share your thoughts. I'm super engaged on social and love when you guys hit me up at Natalie Alport with your thoughts or just to say hi. This podcast would not be possible without you guys, the listeners. So thank you so much. I'm really grateful.